If you enjoy our videos and podcasts and would like us to continue putting out regular quality content, head over to patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview where you can donate monthly and in return you will get rewards ranging from early interview viewings, bonus clips, credited as a producer and much more. Thank you and enjoy. So Bruce, when did you first become interested in aviation? I became interested in aviation back in December 1941, a date that will remain in infantry, infamy. I was seven years old in Hawaii during the attack on Pearl Harbor. And I remember it clearly that on that day, I was out with a BB gun shooting crabs on the beach in Hawaii when uh, planes came over and didn't bother me much. They flew over all the time. And then my mother called me, uh, came out and called me in great panic and had me come home and told us that the Japanese were attacking Pearl Harbor. So from then on, I became very interested in the military. I almost liked I did like submarines because one of our family uh, friends was the captain of the USS Seawolf. And I have stories about that he told us about submarine attacks. But I went on immediately uh, into aviation and I saw my first jet in Hong Kong. I moved to Hong Kong after the war and uh, saw a uh, British uh, Viper uh, airplane coming over. Uh, no, um, vampire, 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 vampire airplane came over, and his job was to buzz Hong Kong, I think, and show the flag, <laughs> and that's what he did. So I, that's you. That's how I got into uh, flying. I went right through college and into the Air Force mm-hmm. through ROTC. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what year did you actually join the Air Force, and did you have a type in mind that you wanted to go on to? Yes, I wanted to go into fighters, very much into fighters, and I went into first into T-33 jet trainers, and then went into the F-86L which was an interceptor. And that got me into radar. And then I went into the F-102, which was the best interceptor of its day and very early in the development of advanced radar and later into the Mm F-106. But then along came the Vietnam War and I was sent off to uh, Vietnam. Yeah, and, and, and we're here to talk about that, Bruce. And you've obviously, yeah, uh, you flew 132 combat missions. Uh, so please tell us some stories from your time over there because it sounds fascinating. Well, it was quite a period in my life. With I was stationed at Phan Rang Air Base on the southeast coast of South Vietnam. And from there, we could uh, range all the way up from uh, Chapone, which made a wonderful story for attacking Chapone, all the way across the Ho Chi Minh Trail, 
we did fly into Cambodia, although it was secret when we were doing it. We weren't supposed to be there, and we couldn't <laughs> talk about it. But then we flew all the way down into the Delta. But the story I'll tell now is a strike that I flew from Phan Rang on the southeast coast into Cambodia. So I was on alert, routine alert, and suddenly the scramble horn went off and I ran out, uh, grabbed my uh, jacket, my uh, gun and all that and strapped uh, ran out and strapped in. Uh, we did out. We used uh, the cartridge starts with lots of smoke starting mm -hmm. up the plane, but it started the engine quickly. And we went out and the weapons were armed and we took off and headed west. That was basically what I knew as we climbed up to altitude. I had a wingman and we kept going west and they said, okay, your target is a North Vietnamese attacking to the south in Cambodia at there's a critical intersection called Prey de Tung. And the North Vietnamese are coming in to attack the town as the Cambodian army was defending. Mm -hmm. There was an American O2 Skymaster observation plane, which had a Cambodian in the right seat. And uh, so the instructions were passed from the Cambodian to the American pilot, who then told us what to do. Right. But he was over the town, and he said that just north of the town, we would see a dry creek bed coming in. And the dry creek bed uh, had then had a bridge over. The Cambodians were in the south of the town defending, and the North Vietnamese uh, had come into the dry creek bed and were all in the dry creek bed Shoot, using that for cover while shooting at the Cambodians. Right. So this was a perfect area for a strike, and I had the perfect weapons. I had the napalm. Napalm, yeah. Just perfect for this situation. And I also had, of course, the 20-millimeter cannon shells, but I didn't use them on this attack. I went set up my attack and came down uh, from the uh, east going west down. The F-100 could hit things if you got close. Right. And the trouble with, with when you got close was the bad guys could hit you too. <laughs> yeah, of course. And there's a whole bunch of guys down there with guns. <laughs> And they are unhappy about you. They can see you coming out of the clear sky, and they're going to fill the sky with lead. So you come in fast, 
That's about the only thing we had for speed was speed to avoid their things, but we had to be low. Mm -hmm. This is nothing that you can get high on. Mm -hmm. So we were about 100 feet coming in at high speed and dropped, I dropped two uh, napalm bombs, which uh, hit in the creek bed and the fire was constrained by the creek bed and rolled right down all the way to the bridge. Wow. And I pulled up and my wingman went then went in and hit, did his, his thing. And then they called me and said the North uh, Vietnamese had captured a house on the south bank of this dry creek bed. And they wanted me to hit it. So I set up again. I had two more napalm cans and came on back down and swept in again at about 100 feet altitude. And I don't know why they didn't hit me. I was expecting to get hit, but I came right on in and dropped uh, two cans of napalm that hit the house, I call on the fly. They didn't hit the ground first. They hit the, they hit the side of the house, uh, blasting in the side of the house. And my strike photos showed the fire coming out the windows on the far side of the house. Wow, really? So it completely uh, obliterated that house. So I pulled up, and there were other planes coming in. So I departed the area with my wingman. We went back and rearmed. The next day, we were sent back to the same place. And this time, the North Vietnamese had captured the town. Mm -hmm. And they had driven the Cambodians into a schoolhouse that I could see just south of town. It was a, it stood out of the schoolhouse partly because it had the usual racetrack around there, this uh, racetrack for everyone to uh, run around, and mm -hmm. it had a soccer field there, okay. British football. <laughs> and so you could see that it was a school, and it had a big hedge around it. Right. And they said that in the schoolhouse, the Cambodian, they were talking to a Cambodian lieutenant who had about 200 men, but only 40 were not wounded. Really? All wounded. Right. So he said the North Vietnamese were shooting at him from the hedge and were about to attack. So this time, uh, but first they wanted me to take care of an anti-aircraft gun. There was an anti-aircraft gun in the middle of this town. There was, you could see the crossroads, and there was a, uh, looked like a three or four story building with a flat roof. And they, there was a anti-aircraft gun, probably about a 23 mil millimeter, mm -hmm. uh, any aircraft gun that they got up there. How they got it up there, I don't know. That, <laughs> this thing 
not going to go up the stairs very easily. But <laughs> yeah. it was okay, how they got it there, I don't know. But uh, it was there, and I had four regular bombs this time, 500-pound uh, slick ones. They, did, they were not high drags. And so I came in first against the anti-aircraft gun. And it's always sporting to attack an anti-aircraft gun. This is a so I uh, dove in with my thirty degree standard thirty degree dive and uh, releasing bombs at three thousand feet above the target, and that you're still throwing the bomb over a mile. It's yeah. hard to think of it that way. How far that you are to hit this thing. And, well, I might have been just a little bit nervous about the. He was shooting at me. I could see he was shooting at me. <laughs> and maybe I just released it too quickly. But anyway, the bombs just missed the building and exploded in the parking lot. Oh, no. But as I, pull, I pulled off, the gun was still shooting. Really? So it was still shooting. So... I asked, so they called my wingman and they sent him in at this uh, gun. And he went in, dropped his, his bombs, and he was, he was, I had ice, ice water to his veins, I'll say that, but <laughs> he put those bombs right through the roof wow. of it. But they had a slight delayed action because they were set up to go against bunkers. They had a slight delayed action, so they went off on the lower floors of the building rather than on the roof. Mm -hmm. And it blew out much of the lower floors, and the roof sagged, but the roof did not fall in. Right. So, but the gun stopped shooting. Okay. That's the main thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> we turned around and went out to the schoolhouse and I made a normal pass dropping bombs on the hedge and he dropped uh, the last of his bombs on the hedge but uh, we were going to try to help these guys as much as we could so we went down with our uh, 20 millimeter uh, cannon we had four 20 millimeter cannons with uh, 800 high explosive incendiary rounds for uh, uh, with 200 uh, high explosive incendiary rounds, make a total of 800 rounds. And I went down and strafed the hedge and chopped it into little pieces. And he came in and he strafed the hedge. And then both of us were out of ammunition. They call it Winchester. We're out of stuff. And we headed home. I have one more. Okay, Go for a break. Okay. This was completely different. This was a night scramble. And this time I had uh, three napalm bombs. I was leading again. I had three napalm bombs and a pod of flares. So I had flares and napalm bombs and my 20 millimeter cannon. So I was scrambled at night. Night flying is always different. Mm -hmm. But I went out there, and there was a 
uh, layer of clouds, but it's fairly high layer of clouds. And the I was talking to a forward air controller underneath it, and he said, come on down through the clouds. So we came on down through the clouds, and it was a uh, big valley, and the Mekong River was going through it. Mm-hmm. We were somewhere on the Mekong River. And he was he had a night vision scopes. Right. And he was seeing three barges coming down the river. And they, they had actually come in. There was an island, and they were off the point of the island, so we could say, do you see the island? Yes, I see the island. I, could see, I couldn't see the barges. But he says they're right off the southern tip of the island on the west bank. I said, okay. Uh, he said, uh, attack. So I went in first, uh, and because I had the flares, and I did kind of a box pattern at about 3,000 feet. We all turned off our lights now. Yeah. So uh, as we came in, I turned on final and came on in. I could see the uh, end of the island, and I flew straight on through and selected flares and dropped the flare. Now, nice. my actually it came out as a pair of flares all the time. And then I continued the box pattern. And my wingman, who had taken spacing on me, had come in behind me. And now as I had gone on, he was already rolling in on his attack when the flares burst out with their light. And we could now see the three barges uh, up against the bank. And he came in. He had bombs, regular bombs. And he passed in, and I saw the, the bright flashes of the bombs. And I came in, I had three napalm canisters. So I picked the one first, and I was aiming one of the barges. I was decided to aim right at the barge, which was a mistake. I admit my mistakes <laughs> because I dropped this, came in, dropped my napalm bomb. And as I pulled off, the napalm bomb missed the barge by just a little bit, right. but it went into the water. Right. You know, yeah. and the, the napalm bomb that has a, a little uh, pyrotechnic yeah. white phosphorus grenade that sets it off. And my little white phosphorus grenade went a little bit and, and that, nothing. No, so, okay. So I, I screwed that up. My wingman now came back and made his attack, dropped his two more bombs. And I came around and this time I picked two napalm bombs, and I said, I'm going to do this different. Oh, by the way, his bombs sank one of the barges. Oh, really? So one of them is sunk, and I came in uh, with the two napalm bombs, but this time I said, I'm going to drop these hummers on the land and roll the fire toward the barges. So I came over from the land going toward the barges and dropped just a little bit early, and the fire uh, rolled over the area and rolled onto uh, one of the barges, wow. actually both of the barges. One of the barges, the, the, yeah, that's 1,600 pounds yeah. of napalm. Mm. And strong enough that it knocked 
the barge off the shore, and it went out in the sea, in the river, and began drifting downstream, and it was exploding. It had ammunition on it or something that was going off like that. And then we set up with both of us for our 20-millimeter cannon and came down strafing with high-explosive incendiary, Mm-hmm. And there's fires all over the place. And uh, we, when we were out of ammunition, we pulled off and went home. So that's my stories of Vietnam. Of course, I had 132 missions there, so there are many more. But those are good ones. Wow, what an incredible time on the F-100 there. And, uh, yeah, just before, like, because uh, obviously in modern-day warfare, there's a, a thing called show of force. Would you ever do that on the F-100? You know, kick the reheating on the afterburner, or was it more literally dropping bombs? No. <laughs> so there's no, no like, yeah, right, right, okay. Nothing yeah. like that. I don't know why I never, I never got hit. But all those people I know were shooting at me, mm-hmm. and but they they never hit me. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes people, I think they didn't realize how fast we were going. Yeah, because they were probably not very well trained yeah. in anti-aircraft, and most of our hits were in the rudder, sort of like they weren't shooting in front of us; they were shooting at us, mm-hmm. and that uh, that may be why. Now, when they got anti-aircraft guns, that was something else. You had somebody who was trained. Yeah, of course, yeah. But no, no, we uh, we didn't usually get hit by the small stuff. Mm-hmm. We did, I uh, had a, something here just to show you. Uh, we go out with CBU. And this, yes. you'll hear a lot of CBU. And this is uh, CBU 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story on this, I, I loved it because... It was developed during World War II. Wow. But the idea was that the Americans, we had the pineapple grenade, but you could, you pulled a pin and it was a timer. Yeah. Uh, it was a fake that, and if you threw it at a vehicle, it would hit the vehicle and bounce off or hit your area and roll around before it went off. They said that one thing Americans can handle well is a baseball. <laughs> so they wanted a grenade that was like a baseball mm-hmm. and that would be armed when you threw it. Yeah. But until then, it wouldn't be armed. Yeah. And that they tested it out. And then they had a demonstration for Congress. Right. Congressman came down, mm-hmm. a old grizzled sergeant came out there to show them this new device. And he got out there in front of the congressman on the range there and said, this is the the new grenade. He says, it's sort of like a baseball. He says, any American can handle a baseball. He says, hell, he says, you can even throw it up in the air and catch it. He threw threw it up in the air and caught it, and it exploded when it came down and killed the sergeant. Oh, no. And they, they said that was too dangerous to give to our troops. <laughs> I think that's a very <laughs> good point. 
<laughs> Very good point. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Too dangerous. So they put it on ice for a while. But uh, during the Vietnam War, they uh, modified it. And they put little fins on it. Yeah. You can see little fins as it goes around. Yeah. Uh, let me put this. Uh, okay. Uh, the little fins there uh, turn it as it goes through the air. Right. Spinning that arms it. So okay. it's right. a big canister with 200 or something of these guys in it. And uh, you dive down and release it. And the canister splits open. And these grenades fly out 200 or something of them. And they come, they spin as they come down. And when they hit the ground, they detonate it. Right, okay. So then we made some variations to it. Mm -hmm. Oh, we made variations to many things. We uh, would put a timer in them. One of the reasons we wanted to use it was against anti-aircraft sites. Mm -hmm. So we went in what we called Iron Hand, would go in ahead of the strike fighters, and usually F-105s coming in, uh, with bombs, but you wanted to make the, they had real anti-aircraft guns there, mm -hmm. but all the anti-aircraft guns were usually in revetments, sandbags to protect mm -hmm. them from outside explosions, mm -hmm. but all of them had to be open to the sky so they could shoot. Yeah. So they made these CBU with various time delays. In. Right. Yeah. So it come over in Iron Hand at a higher altitude and drop these bombs on a the CBU on a anti-aircraft area. They would spread out and now they wouldn't all go off at once. Mm -hmm. Because the enemy would of course see you coming, they'd jump dive into their uh foxholes. But they kept going off. Bang, bang, bang. And you don't know whether there's one inside your revetment or not. Yeah. Of and this was to keep these guys in their revetments until the uh, strike fighters had gone past. Mm -hmm. Right. It's called Iron Hand. <laughs> and then they made other... And oh, I got stories on these things. They they cut little pieces out of this thing mm -hmm. and put a little spring behind it and a little bit of fishing line. Right. Uh, clear fishing line. And when the thing was dropped, this was used on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. They would come down and land on the trail. And uh, after they stopped rolling... It waited for about five minutes to everything settle down. And then uh, a timer would set it off. And these little pieces would fly off this thing, uh, propelled by the spring. Yeah. And hang up in the bushes. Right. With little fishing, clear fishing line on them. And 
So we dropped this on the Ho Chi Minh Trail so that anybody walking down the trail might brush against these wires, these fishing lines, clear fishing line that's hung up in the bushes. And that would set off a grenade. Yeah. Sounds like a scary weapon, to be honest. <laughs> oh, what?